Hello and a very warm welcome to our podcast Taking Chances with me Anupama Bhalla and my co-host Sohila Joshi. In this series catch us in conversation with those who have dared to follow their dreams and succeeded. Our guest today is the president and CEO of FIP, James Hughes. Having worked with some of the best media companies and magazine brands in the world, he is certainly the man who knows print media inside out. Soela and I are thrilled to have him speak with us as it's the professional world we belong to as well, and we are looking forward to hearing what he has to say about the challenges and future of print publishing and how it needs to adapt to thrive in this digital world. So James great to have you on our podcast. I mean you know we've all known each other for a long while through the magazines business but we're finally talking to you and hope to get some interesting insights uh, of what's happening with the print media. So thank you for being on board. Well no, thank you very much for inviting me. It's a real pleasure to be on this podcast today and I hope that people find what I've got to say interesting and well done to you guys for for starting this this podcast during lockdown and Uh, I hope uh, I hope I don't drive your audience away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's not going to happen James because we've got all the enthusiastic print media people waiting to listen to you. Good. So just first off the bat James uh, you know you've been in print media all the while and with magazines all through. So was this your first love the, the job you really wanted to get into and how has it gone for you over all these years? Yeah, it's funny I was talking about this with my children this morning. Um it wasn't the first job I ever did. Uh I started um or having graduated from college, I started working for a bank and I worked for a bank for about 4 years. Um and I didn't really know like a lot of people what I wanted to do with my life. And I was very lucky when I decided to leave the bank because working in a bank is is a very tedious job that I was very lucky to get a job at the BBC. And so I joined the BBC and quite quickly found my way into magazine publishing there. and realized that that was something that I really wanted to do and I had a passion for uh and I've been in it ever since so so look so like a lot of people it wasn't necessarily the first thing I did but I seem to have uh happened upon it uh in the course of my career and as you say now I've been in the business for uh, 20 plus years and and still loving it yeah interesting because uh you know even actually the pretty similar story to mine because I started out somewhere else moved into print media and I thoroughly loved it and yeah. uh, i've enjoyed all my two two and a half decades in it so yeah. for you james this journey obviously has been you know very rewarding very extensive and you're still there so what yeah. is the one or two things that stand out for you that you've learned or something that you've gained being in media yeah i i don't know whether it's necessarily unique to media but i can tell you the things that i that i've learned or that have served me well particularly in my later career because you don't always know these things when you start out you kind of learn them as you go along i guess the first one is uh learning to listen which is quite hard to do when you're younger because you want to make your voice heard and you think that if you don't talk then people are going to ignore you and and you won't get anywhere but the value of listening is enormous uh when you sit in a meeting or you're having a discussion with somebody it's quite hard to do because you really have to force yourself to do it but you just listen and and let them finish talking and let them say their piece and let the discussion move on uh, wherever it wants to go in a meeting uh, i think you will find that more effective than constantly interjecting to make your point and all the rest of it so listening is definitely one um i think the second one would be learning uh, and this was something that i only came to much later in my career Uh, again when you start out you kind of want to show that you're you know you, you're professional and you know what you're doing and that everybody can trust you and all that kind of stuff but i think as you get older and as your career advances you realize that there's value in saying what you don't know and there's value then in learning what you don't know 
And so going out of your way to learn things that are new, to expose yourself to learning opportunities, and to be honest with your colleagues about things that you don't know uh, is, is more valuable than pretending that you know everything uh, or feeling as though you have to know everything. And I'd say related to that, the third thing is, is a kind of flexibility in your, in your career and your life. You know, that's going to be particularly valuable now in this kind of COVID and post-COVID era. Being flexible about how and when you work, who you work with, where you work, uh, I think is an enormously beneficial skill that not everybody uh, comes to uh, at the start of their career. But, but flexibility, I think, is absolutely key. Because if, to bring it back to media, the media environment, the media industry is changing so quickly um, that if we are fixed in our thinking and fixed in our ways, fixed in our products and our services, then we're going to fail. So we have to be completely flexible in the way we approach the world of work uh, right now, uh, because the industry is changing so quickly. Right. I continue to work in media and I uh, look after radio content and I also do a lot of digital work. But my start yeah. was in traditional media. And similarly, yeah. Amu and both of us, you know, we started in print and, uh, you know, did some stints even in television. So at this point of time, we know that digital is everything. I mean, and it's a big yeah. change, especially when you are in traditional medium and, you know, you are seeing this entire digital world exploding in front of you. So how yeah. have you changed personally, knowing that digital is out there and it's necessary? And what have you done for your business, uh, you know, within this whole digital explosion that is happening? Yeah, well, taking that in two parts, I think personally, I've had to... Uh, as I said in my my, my last answer, I, th I think I've had to open myself up to new learning experiences because the digital world is moving so quickly and so many of the concepts are new. Um, you have to be able to learn those. You can't just sit there and assume you're going you're gonna to pick it up yourself. You've got to take the time to go out and learn. Uh, the great thing is, about, is that through my job, I'm able to do a lot of that learning as I work. I talk a lot to universities and university students and lecture on media and, and media and media industry. And the one thing I say to them is the great thing about digital is that nobody's an expert. You'll get people who come and say, I'm a digital expert. Well, they might have been a digital expert today, but they might not be tomorrow because the industry is changing so quickly that a new service or a new product or just a change to an existing uh, platform might come along that renders a lot of that expertise uh, completely irrelevant. So we all have a kind of opportunity with digital to learn and to become you know, an expert in that field for a, for, a, for a short period. And that's something that we have to take. From a business point of view, it's been uh, an interesting transition because we as an organization, FIP as an organization traditionally was, was for print publishers. The number of publishers that you can find these days who are prepared to say that they are magazine publishers, you could count on the fingers of one hand. It is not a business that people want to be seen to be in. Now, the big secret, of course, is that they all still make a large proportion of their revenue and an enormous proportion of their profit from their print business, even the ones that are digitally successful. Mm -hmm. So there is this kind of almost a, uh, um, uh, a duality in the industry which is being pulled between two different poles. On the one hand, the print business is still so fundamentally important to the current financial status of the business, but they know from an investor point of view and for the future proofing of the business, they need to have a, a digital uh, hat on and they need to have digital investments and digital growth. So for us as a business, we've tried to reflect that. And we try to, we try to focus on business models that work in the digital space, show our members how those business models work, highlight examples of success, uh, enable them to meet people and companies that can help them build that success, uh, and basically say to them, look, we understand what your growth strategy is. Now, at the same time, 
Uh, while we do all of that, and that's all great, uh, we still get big audiences for anything we do around print. So we have that push and pull in ourselves. And, and, it's a, and it's a problem for the association space, because in the association space, you don't want to be associated with the past, because it's an easy thing to say, oh, well, it's just a legacy association. We won't be part of that anymore. It's print. So we have to put an outward face to the world that says that, look, we understand the future, we understand growth, and we're actually ahead of the curve, not just on the curve, uh, while at the same time not alienating the audience that made us what we are today. Right. So, you know, just taking it from what actually you and Soela said something very interesting. She spoke about this digital explosion and it's moving so fast and you're getting millions of eyeballs, the smallest things you do. And here you're talking about that the large part of the revenue is still actually coming outside of digital, right? So that's the whole issue here in the sense that you want to be social, you want to be in the digital space, but you really don't know how to go about it, get the right target audience, you know, uh, you know, get your bank for your money, so to speak, especially when you're spending it on advertising. So really what is happening in that space? Because if I go back five or six years, when you used to have FIP meetings, you know, even actually, even earlier than that, you would talk about, yeah. oh, digital is coming. What is print going to do? And we're talking the same question today. And at the same time, digitally, we don't know if you're getting the right focus. So what's happening here? And what yeah. according to you is the right mix that is required to actually get something out of digital as well? Yeah. I, I mean, I think, you know, in the early days of digital, print businesses followed the same rule that everybody was following. They felt that if they, it was the, you know, it was the build it and they will come rule. You know, if you build a big audience, then you'll find a way to make money out of it. So everybody followed that approach. They tried to build a big audience and then they started to monetize it. And the first source of, of, of monetization was one that they were familiar with, which was advertising and digital advertising. Now, the fundamental truth about digital advertising is that it's incredibly inefficient, that it's very, very low yielding compared to print, and that actually it doesn't have a particularly bright future. Uh, unfortunately. So, you know, it's not a business that we uh, spend a lot of time talking about because it's quite broken, if I'm honest. If you think about something like programmatic advertising, which is, you know, one of the kind of great hopes of, of digital advertising and builds a lot of revenue for some players, actually to deliver anything at scale, you really do have to have a very large audience. And at the same time, you're losing anything up to 50 to 60% of the revenue to the middlemen, to the individual technology providers that are making up the programmatic advertising chain. And that is the case right. across the whole of the digital ad space. It's ironic, I think, hugely ironic, that the one area of media that should be the most transparent and open in digital, we should know who each person is and we should know uh, what they're doing, has actually become this kind of fog of, of lies and, and, and mistrust where we can't really tell who the audience is and what they're doing. You look at a business like Facebook, you know, I don't think anybody believes that the that the numbers that they put out around advertising on Facebook's platform are, are real. Um, I think it's a you know there's a lot of there's a lot of issues there. So, having built the business, having built the audience, the question now is what do we do with it? And I think people are, are publishing companies are coming to the conclusion that there are two fundamental sources of digital advertising revenue that they have to deliver on, and they're related. The first one is is paid content. Uh, in the form of digital subscriptions primarily. And the second one is e-commerce. Uh, and, and there is uh, a direct link between the two. If you have an, an audience that you understand and you're monetizing by getting to pay for the content that you're creating, then you can transact with them and sell them stuff. Um, it is fundamental as a business. And of course, we should have done this 25 years ago. And we all said it at the time, how stupid are we not to charge for our content? 
the user, the consumer, has got into the habit of not paying for it, we have to now change their habit. Um, and we have to build paid content models for our businesses. Uh, it's not going to work for everyone. Uh, it will flush out those businesses, and there are a few whose content is no good, quite frankly, um, and uh, force them to invest in it. Uh, and that's a good thing for the industry. So, you know, it is a fundamental principle, I think, that if somebody is not prepared to pay for something, then you have a huge, a huge value perception problem. Our content, the content that we produce is fantastic. It was always fantastic. We employ incredibly talented journalists uh, and an incredibly professional production process to create great and compelling content. Of course, we should charge people for it. When, uh, when Netflix charges people for content, nobody bats an eyelid. Why should it be any different if Times of India is doing it or India Today or any of the other great brands that are in, great print brands that are in India? But you know, by that same uh, logic, if I don't know if you're aware, the Netflix in India, it's the first country where it has brought down its uh, subscription pack uh, from 499 rupees to 199 because the Indian right. humor is extremely value-driven. We really don't yeah. like to pay for our content. So I think it really depends on, you know, market to market. And India is a big growth engine for Netflix and they're really trying hard to, you know, get it right. And we see that similarly, you know, for other brands like Spotify, Audible. It's not an easy market, uh, you know, in that sense. Um, no, it's, it's, it's not. And it I mean, you make a good point about pricing. I think you have to be, as a, as a platform or as a media provider, extremely flexible on pricing when you're going to new markets where there is no tradition of paying for content or, or paying meaningfully for content. The same is true in the Middle East. I worked in the Middle East for many years. And I would sit in board meetings all the time and, oh, well, you know, consumers in this market, they'll never pay digitally for content. And it's like, well, we've got to make them, you know, we've got to make them do it. And Netflix, it's good that they've dropped the price because they know that you have to acquire the audience first. And it almost doesn't matter what it costs to acquire the audience. Once you've acquired them and you've got them hooked and you're creating great, compelling local content as well as compelling international content and Netflix have made some small investments in Indian content creation, but they're making more and more, then you can start to push the price up because then people are hooked and they really want it. Yeah. Disney have done the same with Hotstar. Disney Plus Hotstar is actually doing pretty well compared to, to, to Disney Plus's overall business, but I'm sure they want to do more. Uh, Disney Plus, if you're a Disney fan and you're a Marvel fan, I'm sure there's millions of consumers in India who are Marvel fans and Star Wars fans. You've got to have Disney Plus so they can charge pretty much what they want for it and people will buy it. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the same dynamic that's always been there. If you create compelling content, people will pay for it. Uh, you've just got to get them through the door and get them hooked. The other question, James, I have for you is that today we live in a cluttered market, plus the clients are really demanding. So no matter which platform they go on, I mean, the campaign has to be successful. So hmm. do you see a shift and change in the measurement of success of a campaign? Or is it like what we used to see it previously? Or do you think a client is changing and looking at campaigns differently and the metrics of success? Yeah, I do detect uh, uh, changes in that space. I mean, we've started to see in America, for example, that the shift has, has happened away from volume uh, and away from the number of people you reach towards the actions that they take. So clients are starting to say, can you show me how many people came to my website, made a purchase, you know, what's the actual kind of click through to, to, to buy? Uh, from the campaigns that I've done with you. And the, and, and the best campaigns are the ones that maximize that. And that kind of makes sense, right? I mean, people, you do want people to take an action and you've got to be able to prove that they can take an, that they take an action based on the campaign that you've created. I think linked to this 
is a growing understanding that traditional forms, let's say traditional, I'm holding my fingers in the air, traditional forms of advertising, uh, which we've been saying for a long time, the display banner and the basic ad that you see on there are, are totally pointless. I mean, they don't deliver anything, really. What people are moving towards, what clients and successful publishers are moving towards is this content studio-based approach where you're trying to create compelling content together that promotes an advertiser's business and then drives somebody to transact. Uh, and you're starting to see the clients themselves, the advertisers themselves, build their own in-house content businesses and media businesses because they recognize that this connection between content and commerce, between the, the reader and the transaction, is the compelling one, is the one that will make it work. So that's that realization is happening throughout the industry, throughout the world. And, and it's a very positive thing for publishing because, hey, what are we good at? We're good at creating compelling content. Now we can create compelling content for an advertiser. It's not about the salesman going in and saying, well, I've got a million 18 to 35-year-old women, da 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 why don't you buy my space? That conversation is kind of, yeah, well, I know that because I can see that on the exchanges. What I'm actually interested in is how you're going to bring somebody who's the right consumer. You know, I don't want a million consumers. I want 10,000 consumers who are going to buy from me. How are you going to do that for me? Interesting. That's correct. And also, I think one size kind of doesn't fit all. So I think while there is, a global solution, you know, that you're highlighting. At the same time, uh, you know, countries or regions will also have to look at it from their point of view as to how it works. Like, you know, Soila made the point about, you know, people being price sensitive in India, that may not be the case, maybe in the US. So you can look at content differently there. No, I think, I, think, I, I think that's right. I think that's right, Anupama. There's, there's definitely two or three speeds of the, the rate that this is happening. And it's not the same for every medium either. Local news, local newspapers and local media is definitely happening more slowly than in other, you know, in, in national national media. Uh, it's not happening quite so much in radio because of the nature of the format of radio uh, and so on and so forth. So there are definitely horses for courses. I think everybody's becoming price more price sensitive than they were, but less so than price sensitive is about value driven. Uh, you know, what is the, how you can prove the value of a campaign to a client and you know, the, the, just as in, in, in media and in the client space, there are two groups, right? There's the people who get it and the people who don't. People who don't get it will come and argue with you about the cost of a page or the cost of a CPM, whatever it is, and you'll have the same old arguments that you've had before, and you'll gradually lose share to social platforms because that's where all the money's going. And what's the point of that conversation? It only leads one way. You can't cut your way to growth. You can't decline to growth. Uh, that's just declining. The ones that get it understand that there's a compelling you know, partnership that you can make between content and clients, uh, and, and they want to explore that with you. And some of them go even to the extent of building it themselves. I mean, we work with Red Bull, the soft drink company. Red Bull have an enormous media business that they own and operate because they believe they don't need the traditional media to do that. They can create it all themselves, and it sells a lot of cans for them. You know? So, so the, the realization will come to everyone. Uh, and it's just a question of how quickly that happens. Because at the same time, the ones that don't get it are losing market share. Uh, and you can only lose market share for so long before you get bought or you go out of business. Sure. So uh, coming back to you, James, you know, uh, when Soila and I started this podcast, we started it because we saw change in us and all around us. And, you know, in season one, we spoke to a lot of speakers and they had a lot to say about how the pandemics kind of affected them professionally, personally. And some yeah. have made like really drastic changes. So what's that change been for you? Has something struck you? Have you changed in some way personally, professionally? 
Um, I think the, 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 the two are linked I and mean, the two are combined. The biggest change has, has, of course, been the move to working remotely and flexibly. Um, that's something that we uh, didn't expect would happen. Uh, certainly, it's happened at a much faster speed than everybody thought. There were moves in that direction before the pandemic anyway, but that cliche, you know, it's, it's 10 years of change in two years. That's absolutely what's happened. So uh, we've had to adapt the way that we work as well. We relied a lot on events. We had a big events business, in-person events business. We had to transition that to virtual. In 2020, we ran a whole load of virtual events. I, I tell the story. On the 1st of March, I didn't have, 2020, 1st of March, I didn't have a Zoom account. I'd never used Zoom. Uh, and now I've probably used it more than any other piece of software on my on my computer. Um, we've run whole events off Zoom, so a complete transition in the way that that uh, that we work. And I think that's where that flexibility point that we spoke about right at the beginning uh, comes to. You know, you have to be prepared in those circumstances to just do something, do whatever necessary to survive and learn. We ran uh, an event for two thousand people. We had two thousand people registered. And two days before the event started, we had no idea technically how to deliver it. So we were sitting there drawing on pieces of paper and I had to go to the local electronics store and buy a load of extra equipment that we realized we needed to actually make this thing work. But it's necessity. You have to do it so you learn quickly and you, and you figure it out. So I think it's been, it's been good because it's been a learning experience. That, you, know, you have to, of course, have enormous sympathy for everybody who's lost their lives and been affected by this pandemic and, and don't belittle the impact of it and all that kind of thing, which has been terrible in every country. But there are some good things that have come out of it. And one of the good things is that we've all had to learn and adapt very quickly to a new way of working, a way that I think will have changed the world forever. Right, right. Um, so, you know, James, uh, Anu and I both have actually led two of the biggest brands in magazine. One is Filmfare and the other is Femme. Yeah, absolutely. And on your heart, James, do you think uh, magazines have are its glory days over? Are they in the past? It depends whether you mean magazine, the format, or yeah, a magazine, the magazine brand. the format. Yeah, the brand I think yeah, look, yeah, yeah. Is still healthy and doing really well. But we were there. We saw the change. We saw the shift, and it was painful. But we all had to adapt. But yeah. I just want to ask you, from your experience, do you think the glory days of magazines are over? Yeah, look, I mean, it would be totally foolish of me to sit here and say that magazines have still got their best days to come in terms of the scale of the industry, in terms of the profitability. Of course, they haven't. Uh, one of my cliches that I roll out quite a lot, that I say quite a lot, is magazines, printed magazines, are a big industry that has to get used to being a medium-sized industry. You know, um, it's not, it's not, it's not going to be the behemoth that it once was. Um, the days of selling millions of copies are over. The days of making you know millions of pounds of profit and seeing that going up every year are, are, pr are pretty much over or coming to an end. But is that a bad thing? I don't think it is a bad thing. And I think the dynamic of the industry is changing quite rapidly, moving away from quantity towards quality, moving away from volume and towards value. And, and I think that's absolutely the right way for the industry to go. If I look at the scene in Europe and in the US, there is an explosion, an absolute explosion of magazines launching. Um, and they are all the same type of magazine. They're all special interest. They're all very high quality, printed on great paper with fantastic, compelling content, very little advertising, very high price, cover price, I mean, and delivered largely on subscription or on direct uh, to your door. So they avoid the newsstand entirely. And that model is working very well for some of them. If you're charging, uh, put it into, into US dollars, if you're charging 20 US dollars for a copy of a magazine, which many of them are, 
uh, and you do that four times a year and you sell 10,000 copies, which many of them are, well, do the math. You know, you've got nearly a million dollars in turnover just from your, your circulation alone. If you're a one or two person band producing that magazine, you can still make a decent profit on that. So the industry and the nature of the industry is changing. The appreciation, I think, is there of the value of print, which is its, you know, its, its qualities are that it lingers in the home. It can be a very high quality medium. It's a trusted medium. It's something that people like to have around them. It provides comfort. All the, you know, it's a lean back experience, not a lean forward experience. All those things that we know print does, people are starting to realize that. People talk about this dreadful phrase, the death of print. Um, the death of print is driven purely by the fact that the biggest sector, which was women's lifestyle and celebrity and TV listings magazines, uh, are dying out because they're being substituted by the internet. And you know what? So what? I mean, that, if that's how the consumer wants to receive that information, if they find that interaction more valuable than a printed magazine, great, no problem. You know, we're not here to tell the consumer how to think and act. Um, what we must do is find the new opportunities in print. I think it's fascinating as well, by the way, and I do a lot of work outside of just magazines now in print. But this conclusion is also being reached by the direct mail industry. So the direct mail industry has gone through the same uh, transformation that printed magazines have gone through, and they've come to the same conclusion. You will find, if you live in the UK or the US in particular, dropping onto your doormat through the letterbox, very high quality now direct mail iterations in nice envelopes, nice paper, really well thought out creative executions, because you don't get letters very often. So when you get something, you look at it and the direct mail folks know that and they know that if it's high quality, you'll open it and read it and you're more likely to transact. So this is the direction of trade. Same thing's happening in books as well, by the way. This, 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 this is absolutely the right direction of travel for the industry. I've got a huge selection here of uh, magazines that are you know, in this new format and they're, and they're just beautiful things to read, beautiful things to look at. Right, right. So what is going to be the next big change that we all should look out for in the media and publishing world? Well, that's a good that's a good question. I mean, I think if you listen to the platforms, the platforms would tell you that this 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 idea of the metaverse is the thing that everybody should be looking out for. I'm skeptical about that. I don't think it's a very healthy thing for society in the first instance. I'm also not sure how widespread the adoption of something like that is going to be. Do we really want to spend our times totally immersed in some virtual world with very little connection to reality? I'm not sure that fundamentally people do. Um, so I'm skeptical about the metaverse. I'm probably wrong because usually I'm wrong about this kind of thing, but let's see. Um, I think the, the most immediate change you're going to see is not a revolution, but a continued evolution of what we've got already. Uh, and I would pick out two things from that. I think the first is you're going to see uh, a massive continuation of the consolidation that we've seen in the industry already. Uh, in the last three or four years, the amount of merger and acquisition activity, the M&A activity in the industry has been phenomenal and unprecedented. I mean, just ridiculous. Even this week, another deal, Bauer, a big German publisher, has sold its US business to, to another publisher. Uh, and this is just on the back of deal after deal after deal. So you're going to see more and more and more of this as companies really narrow themselves down to their core focus. Um, and the second thing you're going to see is this continued evolution of these new digital business models. Uh, you're going to see more magazines putting up paywalls, um, usually with additional content rather than paywalls around the content they've already got. You're going to see more magazines making the link between content and commerce. Yeah. Um, uh, so so, so I, I don't think you're going to see any great radical change. I certainly don't detect any great radical change. 
Um, they're not not in the way that we had with the iPad or the iPhone or any of that kind of thing. You know, there's a few things bubbling along in the background, NFTs that people get quite excited about. I mean, paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for a JPEG seems like a crazy idea to me, but what do I know? Um, so there's a bunch of stuff out there that people get very excited about, but then they always there's always stuff out there that people get excited about. Snapchat, people got very excited about that. Don't really talk about that anymore. You know, so we've just got to be careful that we, that we understand that this is a, a, an evolutionary process now. Um, linked to that, I would say as well, it's really important for everybody to, 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 to understand that the internet's not new anymore. We're not in the beginning of the internet. The beginning of the internet is finished. We're now into the business as usual internet. So I don't think there's any great radical change coming down the track um, that we should all be foreseeing. It's going to be a continuation of the stuff that we've seen already. And the job of magazine and, and media and publishing people is the same job it's always been. You've got to pick the winners. You've got to pick the winning platform, pick the winning format, pick the winning content area, uh, and make sure you're in it at the right moment and that you get out of it at the right moment as well. Right. So, you know, we've been discussing so much about the changes that are happening, uh, James, uh, whether it's an evolution, continuing evolution, mergers, acquisitions, all of this. So obviously the role of FIP as an organization has to also modify itself to address yeah. what's happening with the publishing industry. So currently, yeah. what are, what is the top agenda for FIP with all these changes? What are the few key points it's working towards helping all that's happening around in the print world? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, look, this this period of change and transformation has really helped us to crystallize and 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 distill our core purpose down to just a couple of of key things that are kind of timeless things, really. Uh, the first one is is sharing knowledge. So making sure that we are the guardians and custodians of best practice and and, and best performance in the industry and sharing that as widely as we can. And the second one is networking, helping you meet the company or the individual who can make you, who can help you make a material change to your business, a step change to your business. Now, the great thing about both of those is that the globalization of the world means that in the first instance, all the business models that we're all pursuing are the same. Uh, it didn't used to be the case. The way you sold print magazines in India was very different from the UK, was very different from the US, which was different from the UK and Germany, blah, 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 blah. So the, there was less transferability of knowledge between markets. Now we're all trying to do the same things. Digital video, audio, paid content, and e-commerce, and digital advertising. Well, the, the, the lessons and the rules for those things are pretty universal. So the knowledge sharing piece has become easier and more valuable for us to do. And the same is true of the networking piece. With software as a service being the underpinning of most of this digital transformation, you don't mind whether your software provider is based in Singapore or Chile or San Francisco. So you're just looking for the best in class. So again, being able to bring examples of the best, best uh, technology providers or the best service providers in the industry uh, together with our kind of network is something that, that, really, that really is compelling at this time. So I don't think the fundamentals of the business have necessarily changed. We've just focused on those things that are timeless and, 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 and really are there and necessary regardless of what our publishers are doing. Uh, and of course, related to that in terms of topics is then an understanding of what the key priorities are for our members, which we do through talking to them through surveys and all that kind of stuff, which leads us to produce the kind of in-depth content that we do uh, uh, for the members. Right. So James, I mean, that's been really, really interesting to listen to all the changes that are happening and what's being done at SIP and what's happening around the world. Because, you know, Soila and I, we're out of print now, but, uh, you know, that's our common point of discussion and... You know, we've been oh. there for so long, so it's interesting to hear you. So 
just coming back to you again, yeah. you know, you've been doing so much and, uh, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, you're awarded, you're a mentor, you've been part of mergers and acquisitions and, you know, all of that. So what next for you professionally and personally, is there a goal that you still want to, you know, uh, look forward to, or, you know, you just want life to flow as it is flowing and take no stress. What do you see ahead for yourself? What's that great saying? Uh, you know, the best laid plans don't survive contact with the enemy. Um, you you <laughs> can make all the plans you like, I think, in your career, but you, you have to take advantage of opportunities that come along. Look, professionally, I'm uh, we've just made some big changes of fit. We've just outsourced a large part of our business, the events business, to a new company that a couple of my colleagues are going off to run. So we have a, a, a tactical focus in the next couple of years to make that work. We've got the return of our big in-person event, the FIP Congress, in June, June the 7th to the 9th in, in Portugal, uh, which is the kind of first time that the industry will have got together in person since 2019. So we're really focused on making that work and making sure that we maximize the attendance for that. We think it will go really well because people have had such a long gap. Uh, I personally am looking at uh, whether we can extend the range of consultancy and M&A services that FIP does. FIP already has a consultancy business. We want to try and build more of that because it's, it's personally quite rewarding work, but it's also something that there is demand for among our members. Uh, if you think about the consulting space, there's lots of big firms who charge you a lot of money. There aren't very many small specialist ones in our space. We don't charge you a lot of money. Uh, and that's, that's the area we want to go into. So there's lots of things on the radar, lots of things on the horizon. I, I think, again, it comes back to what we said right at the beginning. Got to be flexible, got to be adaptable, got to take advantage of things as they come along um, and, and, and uh, be prepared to just grab the opportunity when it comes up in front of you. Uh, I, I really enjoy working for FIP. I hope I can continue to do so for a great many years to come. Uh, I'm realistic to know that I still have 20, 25 years of my career left, so probably working at FIP for the whole of those 20 or 25 years wouldn't be uh, too healthy. But certainly for the next few years, that's the focus, is just to make those, the, the new arrangements work, build a new business around consulting and M&A, uh, and then see where, see where we go from there. Interesting. So long and interesting road ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. Hope long. <laughs> <laughs> so anything, uh, James, you would like to say to people who are entering into this industry? And, and it is the industry of the young. I truly believe that because media is for the young people. And uh, so any tips, any uh, pickouts for them, you know? You're, you're absolutely right, um, Swella. The, the, it is the industry of the young, and I'm staggered as I, you know, I, I do lectures at three or four universities throughout the year, uh, including here in, in where I live in, in Cardiff. And the number of young people who are going into media and the enthusiasm and passion they have for media and for print media as well, by the way, is so encouraging to see. Uh, I think the tips I would give would be the same ones I give to them. The, the first one is networking. The network in this industry is everything. You have to know uh, the right people at the right time. You have to use your network and be pretty ruthless about it. Everybody you meet, you need to connect with on LinkedIn and capture their details and all that kind of stuff. And you have to keep in touch and make an effort to keep in touch with people because that's just how things get done. So, so be ruthless at networking. Be adaptable and learn. You know, Be prepared to take on new challenges. And I've seen a lot of my... Uh, colleagues and contemporaries going into new spaces like NFTs and, and the metaverse and really seizing those new opportunities as they come along. You've got to do that, I think, in your career. You can't afford to get stale and sit still. But I think the, the, the most important thing for anybody coming into this industry is you're coming in at a great time. I genuinely believe this is the most exciting time in history to work in this industry. Um, it's really exciting because there's so much happening. There's so much changing. There's so many new opportunities. 
used to be that when you came into a media company, you could work on a print magazine, a TV station, or a radio station. Now you can work on 20 or 30 different types of business producing all sorts of different types of content and services. Um, that was never the case before. So it's a, it's a fantastic opportunity. And of course, the other most important thing for students and people coming into the industry is have fun. Most people would kill to have a job in media. So you're very lucky to have one. Enjoy it uh, and, and, and revel in it and relish it because uh, not many people get that chance. Absolutely. That's true. I'll agree with that. I've really enjoyed my stint in media completely. And you get to the kind of stuff a lot of people just don't get to do at all. You know, and get yeah. to meet the kind of people you are. A lot of other people just wouldn't meet. And I you get paid totally for it. For it's even better. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it makes Absolutely. Creativity, strategy, and, you know, both of that really falls into place uh, really well. Yeah. See, I, exactly. mean, I mean, I think media is fantastic. and Totally. totally. It's a great business Completely to be talented. in. And it's, it's one of the only businesses in the world where the product changes every time you put it out. Uh, isn't that fantastic? You know, Correct. A, a, a can, can, of, can of beans is always a can of beans, but a, each podcast, each each issue of a magazine, each TV magazine. show is different from the last one. Absolutely. Right. So, Absolutely. James, uh, which are your favorite magazines? What show are you watching currently? I do you huh. listen to podcasts? I mean, what is what's the kind? I knew of you were going to ask. I knew you were going to ask that. So, I do. I do <laughs> subscribe to. I do subscribe to a number of magazines. Uh, I've got a, a UK satire and news magazine called Private Eye that I, I subscribe to and I listen to their podcast, uh, a UK car magazine called Motorsport, unsurprisingly, because I'm ex-Top Gear that I, that I subscribe to. Uh, but I also make a point of going and buying a whole ton of new magazines quite often. There's a fantastic um, shop here in the UK called Mag Culture, an online shop and, and a physical shop. Uh, and Jeremy Leslie, who runs Mag Culture, specializes in independent magazines from all over the world. Um, so going in there or going online and just making a selection of a few of those old and new independent magazines from time to time is a great one. I've just discovered uh, two uh, literary magazines, Literary Review and the New York Review of Books, both of which are old magazines, but new to me. And it's just been a joy to rediscover the pleasure of reading a great magazine. Um, I found a magazine that was all about cheese. So all they cover is cheese, uh, a very high quality, uh, fantastic magazine. Uh, which is great because a friend of mine owns a cheese business. So I've been able to say to them, oh, you should, you know, you should use this and look at this. So there's loads and loads of great magazines out there. I subscribe to many. I buy many, many more um, sort of to the point that my house is full of magazines. And uh, that's the kind of main passion. In terms of TV, I'm a bit, uh, I sort of float around, really. I haven't done, I'm sort of off box sets a little bit at the moment, watching a lot more movies. The great thing about all these different streaming services is they've got all, all sorts of different content on there that you that you don't always come across. So I've been watching a lot of old movies from the 1940s and 1950s recently, which is just stuff that I'm rediscovering. Um, so 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 nice to do that. But yeah, no, lot, there's, as with everything these days, there's so much choice that you have to be quite selective, otherwise you can get overwhelmed. <laughs> That's true. There's a lot of choice. One spoiled for choice, but that's a good thing. You can find exactly what you want and yeah, you know, watch absolutely. that. Yeah. Right. yeah, absolutely. Great, James. Thank you so much for this. It was good fun. And especially because we are from the same industry. So we were getting everything that you were saying. And yes, points to ponder on and think about. Thank you fantastic. so much for giving us your time. Thanks a lot. Thank you. No problem. Absolute, yeah, no problem. Absolute pleasure to be on the podcast. Thank you very much again for inviting me. And I hope everybody really enjoys it. Thank you. We hope this podcast encourages you to follow your dreams, listeners. We will be back very soon with more chance takers. 
Till then, have a good day and do like and share our podcast, Taking Chances.